Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 10 through 16, and verses 22 through 31. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil are perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all who govern justly. Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule, and nobles all who govern justly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I, I think most of you know by now that I, I turned 40 just over a month ago, and uh, that's weird. <laughs> Let me just say that. Uh, realizing that like half my life is, is behind me is, is, is a surreal revelation to me. But, but many of you also know uh, about me that I love to run. It, it's kind of my jam. It's, you know, if I have spare time, that's what I want to be doing. I want to run. And, and I've been running for over a decade, but it, it's something that kind of my passion for it really ramped up about five years ago when I ran my first marathon in, in 2016. And, and it's just grown from there. At the end of 2019, I started streak running, which means that uh, I've run at least one mile every single day. Uh, and so as of this morning, my streak's at 517 days. Uh, and then this year, I, I set this additional goal of, of running a marathon every month in 2021. And if you're looking at me like I'm crazy right now, uh, to that I'd just say, you know, it took you this long to realize that. Um, but, but then about two months ago, less than a month before I was set to turn 40, uh, and a few of you know this, I, I was beset by the worst injury I've experienced during my time as a runner. Uh, I just woke up one morning unable to walk. I stepped out of bed onto the floor, and the minute my left foot hit the floor, I experienced this sudden jolt of pain up my entire left leg. It was the, the sharpest pain I've ever experienced. I immediately crumpled in pain back onto the bed. And what I quickly came to, to, to realize was that this was sciatic nerve pain. And it was the worst. Any of you who deal with sciatica, God bless you. I, oh, it is the worst. And so for two whole days, I could barely walk. And and I remember overhearing Sally speaking to a friend of ours, kind of describing the way I moved for those few days as being like a drunk 90-year-old. I mean, it was that bad. I honestly wanted to die. And I eventually came to discover that what I was really experiencing is called piriformis syndrome, which is this injury to the piriformis muscle. Now, if you don't know what that is, you're not alone. I had never heard of it until I hurt it. Um, but it, it's a fairly common injury for runners. And, and the piriformis is this muscle uh, that's underneath your glutes. It helps strengthen your hips and, and mobilize your hips, which is really important with running. 
And so when you aggravate it, 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 it's quite literally a pain in the butt. And, and it can become excruciatingly painful like it was for me because the sciatic nerve runs right alongside the piriformis muscle. And so when it's inflamed, and if it's especially inflamed, it can pinch that nerve, which again causes that excruciating pain. Now, what I also came to learn is that recovery from piriformis syndrome usually takes at least three to four weeks, which just killed me. Now, I, I was still able to kind of hobble a mile every day to keep my streak alive, but that was about it. I had to postpone my big birthday run, which gutted me because uh, every year I, I run my age on my birthday, and I was especially looking forward to running my 40-mile birthday run. Again, I know there's something wrong with me. Uh, but, but eventually, after incorporating a much more intentional stretching regimen, after trying to get lots of rest after receiving some chiropractic care and, and even some, some deep tissue massages. And actually, a, a shout out to our very own Dan Yenter, who is now a licensed massage therapist and helped me immensely at, at a point where I was worried I wouldn't be recovering anytime soon. Uh, but after all of that, I, I am back finally to full strength, to the point where tomorrow I'm planning to run the first marathon that I've run since that injury. Um, but I share all of that because in the midst of dealing with that injury... And that was in addition to a shoulder injury that I've been nursing since February. I, I just remember to saying to Sally, who turned 40 just before I did, that cougar. Um, but I told her, you know, apparently as we turn 40, our bodies just automatically start to fall apart. But in exchange, apparently we gain wisdom, so that's worth it? Like, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that trade-off. Uh, now, that, that snarky attitude that I had regarding the value of wisdom compared to the value I was placing on my physical health and strength. Uh, it's a bit revealing and perhaps not completely uncommon, but as Dave read a moment ago, we devalue wisdom at our own peril because as Solomon writes, I mean, wisdom is more valuable than rubies, than silver, than gold, that nothing can compare with her. And as came later in that chapter, I don't think Dave read it, but wisdom is a source of delight Solomon talks about wisdom being filled with delight and rejoicing. That, and, and the word used for rejoicing there is, is more accurately translated as frolicking. And so do you hear that? that? That wisdom is immeasurably valuable. It's a source of delight. It's something to frolic in. I mean, Solomon is setting the bar really high. And yet, as we'll see over the time we have remaining this morning, I think Solomon's on to something. And so today we're, we're beginning what will be a summer-long sermon series on the book of Proverbs that we're calling Wisdom for Living. And, and credit where credit is due, uh, we need to acknowledge the great work done by Tim Keller uh, in a sermon series of the same name given at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York back in 2004 that's been an excellent source of inspiration for us. Um, but today's text from chapter 8 provides the perfect setup for the journey we'll be taking through the book of Proverbs over the next few months. And I want to just start by taking a minute or two to kind of set the table. Now, most, but not all, of the book of Proverbs uh, is attributed to Solomon, who is the wisest person who's ever lived. You might remember that Solomon was King David's son, and he eventually became the king of Israel himself, and he built at long last this beautiful temple for Yahweh in Jerusalem. And one night, in a dream, God appears to Solomon and he says to him, almost kind of like in a precursor to the genie in Aladdin, he says, ask for what you want and I shall give it to you. 
I mean, imagine receiving that offer for a moment. God is offering Solomon anything, anything he wants. I mean, what would you ask for in that scenario? Like for real, think about that. What would you ask for if God said, I will give you whatever you want? If I'm being honest, I'd probably ask for a beach house in Hawaii that I could winter in every year. But not Solomon. Not Solomon. He asks for wisdom. Wisdom. And so God gladly grants this unparalleled wisdom to Solomon and gives him so much more besides. And, and we're fortunate enough to have some of that divinely granted wisdom recorded for us in the book of Proverbs. I know it, it probably would also be a good idea for us to just define what wisdom is if we're going to spend the next few months studying it. And, and we have to know that wisdom isn't simply knowledge, which I think sometimes we conflate it with. Uh, it, it's not like if you simply study up, you'll automatically become wise. In fact, I, I think we all probably know some folks who are incredibly book smart and yet are not wise. They might even, in fact, be foolish. And so wisdom isn't just knowledge. Uh, and wisdom's also not simply the understanding of godly or moral principles. Now, again, certainly wisdom contains within it an understanding of godly principles. It's built on that, but it's also so much more than that as well. Uh, Solomon writes in today's text that wisdom possesses insight. And, and that Hebrew word for insight kind of connotes this knowing how things really work, how things really happen. Uh, Solomon also notes that wisdom dwells with prudence. And, and that Hebrew word for prudence basically means this, this ability to notice little distinctions, to see how things really are. And then Solomon writes that by wisdom, kings reign and rulers rule, a reminder that wisdom leads to concrete action, that there's an important aspect of knowing what to do with said knowledge and insight. Uh, the simple kind of dif dictionary definition says that wisdom is knowledge of what is true and right, coupled with just judgment as action, as to action. And so in other words, wisdom might begin in the head, but it, it manifests itself in what we do, in how we live, which leads to my favorite definition, which uh, is courtesy of Old Testament scholar Gerhard von Rad, who wrote that wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. I'll say that again. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. That's wisdom. Because here's the deal. I mean, any set of rules or guidelines or moral principles or even proverbs will eventually fall short. I mean, life will thrust us into scenarios that the rules or guidelines never fully or clearly address in the ways that we'd like them to. I mean, that's, that's the whole realities of life thing that, that Von Rad was talking about. And it doesn't make the rules or guidelines bad, just insufficient, which is where wisdom comes in. Wisdom helps guide us through the messiness, helps us navigate the undefined, the realities of life that the rules don't address, again, in the ways that we might like. And in verse 22, which comes later in the chapter, wisdom starts to speak in the first person saying, the Lord brought me wisdom forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. Which means that God has embedded wisdom in the very fabric of creation from the start. There, there's a pattern to reality which wisdom can perceive. And then when we begin to grow in wisdom, we can better see that pattern. I mean, think about other patterns in creation, patterns that are often observed 
uh, and quantified by math or science. Think, for example, of, of like aerodynamics. There's an observable pattern for how things are able to fly. And so if you construct an airplane according to that pattern, you'll likely make it from MSP to LAX without a hitch. But disregard that pattern and the results will be tragic. And in the same way, there are patterns that God has embedded into creation for this thing that we call life. Living in harmony with that pattern will produce better results than going against it. And, and wisdom, Solomon says, is what helps us discern the pattern and learn how to live in harmony with it. Uh, now, when it comes to that pattern, there, there are a couple of truths that I think it's really important to keep in mind. First is just admitting that there is indeed a pattern, that God has made the world. And so there are principles by which things tend to work. But then a second truth that can sometimes seem to be in tension with that is, is that we must equally admit we don't fully know what the pattern is, that there is mystery involved, that our limited human perspective and perception will never get us all the way there. And Proverbs will put these two truths in tension on display in the weeks to come. We'll see that because beginning in chapter 10 of Proverbs, we'll start to get these kind of pithy one sentence nuggets of wisdom that we call Proverbs. And many of them will seem to reveal the pattern, you know, reminding of us things like those who work hard tend to succeed in life while the lazy tend to fall behind or, or those who pursue godliness will live a fuller, happier life while the wicked will face ruin. But just when we think we start to get the pattern figured out, other Proverbs will come along and, and make things a little bit more murky. One of the most famous examples uh, in Proverbs comes in chapter 26, where in back-to-back -back verses, we receive the following Proverbs. In, in verse 4, it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will become just like him. But then in verse 5, immediately following, it says, Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Should we or should we not answer a fool according to his folly? Here, Proverbs is reminding us that wisdom is never as simple as following a rule to the T. Proverbs remind us that there's mystery in the pattern, that no matter how much wisdom is contained within its pages, it could never be completely distilled down to simple aphorisms. Which is why I think Solomon does this work of personifying wisdom in the text. Wisdom is talked about in today's reading as a person, as a woman. Wisdom is talked about like, like someone you get to know, that you pursue, you develop a relationship with. It's someone that you'll, you'll never fully understand, uh, like my wife, for example. Uh, it, no, what, what, I, what I mean by that is actually I could tell you everything about Sally. I could write it down in a book. I could tell you about what she looks like. I could tell you about her character and her quirks. I could even tell you her life story down to the most minute detail. And while all of those things would give you a good sense for who Sally is, they still wouldn't substitute for actually knowing Sally. Once you got to know Sally, there would be nuances to her character that the book didn't capture. There would be dynamics to her beauty that no physical description or photograph could capture. How she acts or responds might still catch you off guard from time to time because knowing about Sally is a poor substitute for actually being in relationship and knowing Sally in that way. And Solomon's reminding us that the same is true with wisdom. You could memorize 
the book of Proverbs front to back, inside and out, and that wouldn't be a bad thing. In fact, it'd be a really, really good thing. It would help you understand much about what wisdom looks like and about how a wise person sees and experiences the world. But it would still be different than actually knowing wisdom, possessing wisdom, recognizing that you'll never fully arrive in your grasp of wisdom, that there's always room to grow a need for humility, to become wiser, to learn new things, which is why we're called to pursue wisdom. And, and this leads to my final point, which is a point about the personification of wisdom. Uh, but in this, in this case, the, the most literal sense possible. Because what if wisdom actually was a person? Uh, now, Dave didn't read it this morning, but later on in the passage, there's this portion that would have sounded perhaps eerily similar to other passages of scripture that we're familiar with, where the way Solomon talks about wisdom, he, he talks about wisdom being the firstborn of creation, being there with God at the foundation of the world. And as he talks about wisdom that way, it should start to sound familiar to, to us. And if not, we would then jump ahead to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In it, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. Now, we need to stop there and, and recognize that the Greek word that John uses for the Word is logos. And, and you know what logos essentially means is wisdom. It can be defined as wisdom, divine wisdom. And so John is saying that in the beginning, the logos, the wisdom was with God, just like Solomon writes in chapter 8 in, of Proverbs. And John says that everything was made through this logos. And later on, John writes that no one has ever seen God, but the son who is at the father's side has made him known. And Solomon, writing about wisdom, says, I was constantly at God's side. You can see where this is going. And in Jesus, John writes that the word, the logos, divine wisdom, became flesh, became human, became one of us. Jesus, John is telling us, is the ultimate embodiment and expression and source of divine wisdom. And so when I mentioned a moment ago the idea of pursuing wisdom almost in a relational sense, I want to get more specific and say that wisdom is best found in pursuing Jesus and getting to know and understand him better and looking at his life and wrestling with and reflecting on his teachings and following his example. And so I want you to just hold that truth in the back of your mind as we move through this series on Proverbs. I mean, this is a book that contains so much powerful insight, some, some revelations on the pattern of how God has created this world to work, created life to operate. And we'd be so wise to heed its instruction. And yet at the same time, any wisdom that we find in Proverbs is at best a shadow of the wisdom that's revealed in Jesus. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes in chapter 2, my goal is that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. And, and that should sound familiar. There's definitely some resonances with, with how Solomon talks about wisdom being more valuable than riches. But Paul says, my goal is that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And listen to this. Paul says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. 
The New Testament contains the bombshell revelation that wisdom took on flesh and was completely embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate source of wisdom. And, and, and as I close, I want to just highlight one other fun connection here. Uh, the book of Sirach, which uh, is also known as the wisdom of Sirach, and it's not in our Protestant Bibles, but it's in the Catholic Bible, it's in the Orthodox Bible, uh, it contains these words that are spoken by wisdom. Uh, in, in Sirach chapter 51, wisdom says this, Come to me, you who are untaught and lodge in my school. Why are your souls thirsty? Put your neck under the yoke and let your souls receive instruction. See with your eyes that I have labored little and found for myself much rest. Many years later, Jesus would famously say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my yoke upon you, and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And so yes, let us dive into Proverbs in the week ahead. Let us glean from its un- wisdom. Let us gain understanding. Let us bask in its riches. But as we do so, May these Proverbs serve as pointers to Jesus, the ultimate source of wisdom. Let us delight and frolic in his wisdom by taking on his yoke, his instruction. And as we pursue his wisdom, may we find much needed rest for our souls. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please pray with me.